Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you, Pastor Murray. Good afternoon, everyone. It's nice to see you again here on a Sabbath day. So wisdom from above, I'll continue today with part three. But let me start today with some of the history lessons. How many of you can remember July 17, 1942? July 17, 1942. Probably not many. But during that time, it was the beginning of one of the bloodiest, ever bloodiest battle that took place during the Second World War. It started on July 17th and ended on February 2nd, 1943. The bloodiest battle that ever happened. It was the Battle of Stalingrad. And speaking about the victims and casualties of the war, and especially, specifically about this one battle that took, that, that took place at Stalingrad. At the end of it, when the spring came under the snow, the Soviet armies recovered. 250,000 German corpses that were frozen under the snow. 250,000 German corpses. The total German casualties, just because of this one battle, the Battle of Stalingrad, is estimated to be about 800,000 dead, wounded, missing, or captured. Think about it. 800,000 soldiers dead, wounded, missing, Uncaptured. One bottle. One bottle. Now, on top of that, when the German army surrendered at Stalingrad, the entire, one of the most well-trained 6th German army surrendered to the Soviets about 91,000 men that was left out of this army. 91,000. At the end of the war in 1945, out of 91,000, it's estimated between five and 6,000 came back home. Rest of them died from hunger, starvation, and from cold in labor camps. Of 91,000, five or 6,000 left back home. That was just the one side of the war. On the Russian side, official army historian estimated that there were 1,100,000 soldiers died during this battle of Stalingrad. Over 1,000,000 soldiers. Can you, can you picture in your head? 1,000,000, one battle, one over 1,000,000 soldiers died. And on top of that, the population of Stalingrad, 40,000 people died because the general or or the men of charge, Stalin decided that there is no point of evacuating the civilians because he believed that if civilians were still there in the cities, his army will put a bigger fight to protect its own citizens. So as the result of it, 40,000 civilians died during this time in a six-month period. Just to comparison. Canadian contribution to the Second World War. The total casualty to the Second World War, 43,000 people. 
I'm not trying to downgrade the people that lost their lives for the country, 43,000. I just want to show you a comparison. One bottle. I'm not going to even mention the bottle of Moscow. Over another million people on one side. I'm not talking about the other side. The bottle of Kursk. We're talking about millions and millions of casualties that most of the Western people have no idea. Because stuff like history like that, especially studying the history on the other side of the war, is not presented here in school. It was huge. And the bottle, the Germans could actually easily won the bottle. And Hitler lost the bottle, not because of the strategic mistakes or the poor planning. It was one thing and one thing only when he lost his bottle. I will come to this a little bit later. If you open your Bible to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And here in verse 31, we covered the scriptures many times. We will still cover it today. But just let just take apart just two verses from here. Verse 31. Or what king going to make a war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the others is still a great way, great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Any general, any leader, before going to any war, going to any battle, will sit with his staff, with his people, analyze everything. No one goes into a battle without the basic knowledge and understanding of the situation. Everybody needs to know access. What is my army capability? How well my soldiers train? Can they accomplish this thing? How well armed they are? What about the geography? What about the terrain? What about the weather? What is the prevailing time of the year? Is, is it the spring? Is it the fall? Is it the winter? All these things make a huge impact. How to win a battle. Not just a battle, but how to win a war. Here in this situation, I strongly believe the interpretation that Pastor Regin said, that our King Jesus Christ, he sat down with his father. He estimated all the cost. He fully understood what was his cost to win this battle. He knew that it's going to cost him a life, and he volunteered, and he said, I am willing to go and do that. What about us? As a soldier, what is our knowledge? What is our understanding? If we put wisdom to all of these things that we know and understand, are we capable are we able to march with Jesus Christ and win this battle? Are we willing? Are we able? Are we capable to accomplish this? We have to ask our question. All of us, we need to ask this question if we can do it. You know, Hitler lost his battle of Stalingrad because of one thing. It's not because he was stupid or his generals were stupid. They didn't know how to plan the battle. We know Germans' people are very well 
you know, planners. They planned the details to death, every possible detail. The way he lost his battle because of his pride. He said, I need to take the city because it's called the Stalingrad. I need to take the city. It's at all cost. I'll never, ever give it up. Go conquer it at all costs. All costs means all costs. They lost 800,000 soldiers. Germans could actually win the war. They could. Because of pride of one leader. Lost everything. Now, what I want to do today, I want to talk about, continue to talk about knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. All of the three are connected together. And how important it is, specifically today, I just want to talk about wisdom. We did spend some time about the knowledge. We did spend a little bit time about understanding. I want to spend the rest of the time talking about wisdom today. Let's have a quick recap. Somebody, you know, you guys were making notes. Can you remember what was the simple definition of, of knowledge? If you have your notes or if you can remember, it's just very simple. What's the knowledge? Facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. That's the simplest definition of knowledge that you can ever find or come up with. Basically, that's, that's all what it is. How does this apply to us? We as a Christians or the follower of the way. As you read Bible, as you start reading Bible. You know, I know in my own case, in my own example, when I began to read the Bible a long time ago. You know, I like some parts of the Bibles because I could understand them. They make sense. But the, some parts of the Bible were just, I couldn't understand them. You know, I love the Genesis, book of Genesis, but I was totally lost in Leviticus or even some parts of Deuteronomy. Forget about the numbers. I'm not good at numbers anyway, so how can I read a book that is called Numbers, right? I'm just going to get through all of this. But as you read and as you read and you continue reading, then you more knowledge you start to acquire. Then some of the things that you didn't understand, some of the things starts to make sense. And to get to this point, to get to this point that you become a wise person in the walk with Christ, you can't become wise without the basic knowledge of the Bible. How we get the basic knowledge of the Bible, you need to spend some time, you need to read it, and you need to work on it, and you need to acquire the knowledge. How many of you guys, reading comes naturally? Every day, you just can read for hours. It's just all the other stuff just happening, you have to do to duty. How many of you can say that I'm a reader, I can read all day long? How many of you can say I'm like that? So just few of us. What about the others? You know, I know, I know that some people just can't, can't spend much time reading. I know, I think I'll be able to, I'm not going to go there, I'm not going to make a name. I know a person who said, once I get to read, I fall asleep, no matter what I read. Some people like that. So, let me, I was just doing some, I was bored, I had so many days off this week. I, I did some little calculation here. I Google it, just out of interest, just to see, average person, how many words we can read per minute. Just out of interest. So I found that average person can read about 200 to 200 words per minute. Obviously, students at university are capable of way more than that, because they have training. Average person, 200 to 200 words per minute. So I did a little calculation. If you put aside 15 minutes 
15 minutes, not half an hour, not hour, 15 minutes at each day, and you read around, let's say, 250 words per minute. You know, you read about 3,750 words per day. It doesn't mean anything, right? 3,750 words per day. If you read every day for 365 days a year, you can read about 1,368,750 words per year. It doesn't mean anything. But now what about this? The average book, adult book, average adult books got around 90,000 to 100,000 words. If you do simple math calculations, if you just read 15 minutes each day at that speed, you can read probably around 13 to 14 adult books. Book each month. The Bible is around 800,000 words. Average Bible, because it depends on translation. Some translation has more words, some translation has less words. I think King James Version has just over 800,000 words. You can read one Bible way over through the year, which is reading 15 minutes a day. Is it possible? Do we have an excuse to dedicate 15 minutes a day to the Word of God? Just imagine for a second you dedicate a half an hour to the reading of the Word of God. You can read the Bible twice a year. It's possible. There are no miracles when it comes to the knowledge. You can pray to God all you want. It's not just going to happen. You're going to go to, to bed and through the night, through your prayer, God's just going to wire you through and say, hey, download. Download complete. You get up in the morning, download complete, and suddenly you memorize the entire Bible. It just doesn't happen like that. It requires work. So, before we jump to the wisdom, we can't escape. We can't go without knowledge, right? Now, we talk about the understanding. What is the simplest definition of understanding? Ability to comprehend what you know. Understanding is the, let me highlight the words. Understanding is the correct organization and ordering of associated facts and truth. Correct organizations and ordering of associated facts and truth. As you start reading Bible, you may not understand much. But over the time, as you acquire all this knowledge, understanding will. We start drawing some understanding, some of the stuff. Places. The books of the Bible become familiar. If you go to a church service on a regular basis where somebody says, I want you to go to the book of Matthew, you know exactly what it is. Why? Because you've been reading. You can navigate yourself throughout the Bible. Now, we get some basic knowledge and understanding of who God is, what God requires. You understand, basic understanding of some places, some people, some places, and, you know, some, some activities, some commandments, things to do, things not to do. You just become familiar with it. And over the time of period, over the longer period of time, your knowledge as your knowledge grows, your understanding automatically will grow even faster. So that the basic that's the definition of of understanding. And at the beginning, the Bible might, might appear like a jigsaw puzzle. doesn't make any sense. But you start to put all these pieces together, white by one, color by color, or whatever, you see like, wow, there's a nice, beautiful picture here. So I can see it. I can see the picture. I can make sense out of it. And how important is my understanding? Many people can get a knowledge from the Bible. Many people. We have different denominations, different Christians, different people. 
All have all claim that hey, we have the knowledge. It's great. Is your understanding of the knowledge correct? Why is it so important to have the correct understanding? Because understanding will drive your behavior. Understanding will will kind of establish what kind of doctrines you believe and what kind of doctrines you don't believe. This is how important, how crucial it is to have the correct understanding of the facts that you're reading in the Bible. Let me give you an example here. For the last few weeks, we've been exposed to a heavy teaching. I have to admit, difficult teaching. Pastor Agent gave us two sermons about the role of Israel in the God's redemption's plan. Pastor Watson here gave another sermon about Israel. And now, I want you to think how important it is. How important it is that your understanding of it, how crucial it is. So let's say that you believe, that you believe you're part of the Christians, that you believe that replacement theology, that you believe that you replace Israel, if that's your understanding, that your understanding would drive your doctrine, and your doctrine would drive your behavior. So you go to the Bible, it says, you know what, there's nothing but for Israel. Everything is fulfilled. Now it's everything about me. I am the Holy One. I am the Special One. Everything surrounds around me. Forget about Israel. Now, the other way, let's say you think that the nations that is right there in this Middle East is some kind of a miraculous act of God. Many Christians will believe so. He says, this is God established this nation in Israel in 1947. And you think, if that's God's hand, if this is God's doing, then you know what? Me, as a Christian, I need to do everything to support that. Because this is a God's doing. What I'm going to do? I can support financially. I can get on some bandwagon and donate a lot of money to, let's say, bring all the Jews from Russia, from Ukraine, from Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, from Ethiopia, everywhere. Bring them all together to this little piece of land that is called the promised land, right? What if God's going to send a judgment on them? And this is the way how God is gathering them. Your understanding of a doctrine will drive your behavior. See how important it is to have the correct doctrine, correct understanding of what you know and what you believe. And, you know, I just give you the situation that happened right here in our congregation. You can go way deeper than that. You know, look at the Christianities by grace alone. Look what happened. What kind of mess they created for all of us here. I don't have to do anything. It's God's grace. If it is through God's grace, if God, you know what? God gives me everything. God gives me faith. God gives me everything. I don't have to do anything. Just wait. At the end of it, I'm done. What is that leading people to? It came to the moment that some of the Presbyterian churches in the United States came up openly and said, we need to scrap this doctrine of eternal predestination because it doesn't work. Our people behave like pigs, like the rest of the society. Why? Doctrine drives behavior. If I'm eternally saved, then so be it. Come as you are. I am the way, the way how I am. I can do what I do. I can drink what I drink. I can eat what I eat. I can behave how I behave. I'm saved. God predestined every single one of us. I'm the lucky one. I go to heaven. Sorry for you. 
God predestined you to go to hell. I feel sorry for you. Understanding of a doctrine will drive your behavior. That's how important it is to have a crucial understanding of what you know. Now, let's go to wisdom now. What's the definition, the simplest definition of wisdom? It's just basically, through wisdom I know what to do. What to do next. How to do next. When to do it. How to do it. What to do it. How to behave. The wisdom will help you to put all this thing together. The correct, the correct knowledge, correct understanding of all of these things will help you to navigate your life. That's the wisdom. The basic definition of wisdom. The basic definition of wisdom. It's all about, over the time, as you exercise all of this thing, it will be amazing how people look at you and say, like, wow, what a wise sister. Wow, what a wise brother. Let me give an example here. Since we are in Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 20. Just look at the, our Savior examples. Luke chapter 20. And we know here, the Sadducees tried to trap him about the resurrection. Because they were, these were the ones who did not believe in the, in the literal resurrection. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. And it's interesting how Christ handled it. And here in chapter, in chapter 20, verse 30, 33, it says, Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife does, the, does, does, does she become? For all seven her as a wife. So they give... They gave them a probable scenarios, or all just a scenario. And it's, look at how interesting, how smart, how genius Jesus Christ was. And Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrections from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die, nor can they die anymore. For they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Speaking here about the first fruits. But even Moses, and he's referring to the first five books of the Bible. Not to Isaiah, not to Jeremiah, not to the Psalms. But even Moses showed in the, showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. When he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Even in our prayer, we use the same lines. Why? Because verse 38. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. You see, some people will look at this thing and say, Hey, you see, when we die, we actually we don't die. We live forever. We just go to heaven. If you have the wrong understanding of some of the doctrines. But that's not what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, Our God is a God of the living. We still use the same prayer. Why? Because we believe that there will be resurrection. And God will raise all of them eternal life so Christ unbelievable answers and you know in our walk with Christ it is difficult to, to first you know when you engage yourself in a discussion with unbelievers or members of your family it's very difficult to have a dialogue because sometimes you, we don't know how to navigate we don't have this wisdom what to say it, how to say it but over the period of time God will help you out God will give you the proper Proper wisdom, how to act in specific situations, you said that, you know what? God will, will prevail. And people just look like, wow, what a genius answer. What a great answer. How did you come up with that? It's just a matter of time. But it doesn't come. It doesn't come cheap. It requires some work. 
required to have some knowledge. You're required to have the correct understanding. So as you can see, knowledge is the basics. Knowledge is the basic of the other two, understanding and wisdom. So now let's forget about, not forget about, but let's move to the wisdom. I want to talk about the wisdom for the rest of my day here. So let's talk about wisdom. Have you ever met in your life a person who, would, who, who you would describe is a wise person? Have you ever met anybody in your walk that would say, wow, this person is a wise person? Maybe more than one, maybe two, three, four, I don't know how many, maybe 10, 15, 20. What would you say? What are the some of the characteristics that these wise people have in common? Have you ever thought about it? What characteristic, what characteristic these people share together that might be three different individuals, but you will say, wow, these people are so bright, these people have wisdom. It's not just because of their intellect. What is it? What is it here? Let me give you two possibilities. Let's see if you agree with me. What about people who are with great wisdom, they have one thing in common, they have the fear of God. You notice that? What do I mean, they have a fear of God? As I talk, just go to Proverbs. Just see if I can validate this. Proverbs chapter 9. They have the fear of God in them. Proverbs chapter 9. And it's just the one verse here. Verse 10. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what do you mean you're fearful of the Lord? It means that, you know, you, you, you just try to run away, you don't know where to hide because, you know, we're so afraid. No, it's not the fear of the Lord. You have the fear, you have the reverent respect for who God is. That whatever you see it, whatever God says it, you have no issue with it whatsoever. Fearful people, in a positive sense, fearful people who fear the Lord, have another characteristic. You know what it is? They are very obedient to the word of God. Very obedient. Most people, me included, I like to question stuff. Is really God saying this? Fearful people, they don't question it. They look at it, that's what they say it. That's what they do it. They're obedient. No matter what, they're obedient. From the first sight, they see it, they got it, they're obedient. Now, there's another one, the third one. There are way more. I'll just stick with the three ones. Fear of God, obedience. And let me give you another one. Humility. Humility. Wise people tend to be also very humble. Proverbs chapter 11. Right there. So I can give you way more scriptures than that. But I don't have time to go through all of them. So just I'll just pick and choose. Proverbs 11. Verse 2. When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble. With the humble. Is wisdom. Hitler rose a bottle. Because he was proud. He was a very proud man. And he believed his superiority. Superiority of him, superiority of his people over other nations. And he paid a great bot. He paid a great, great, 
He paid a great price for his stupidity of being blind. And us included. Sometimes we pay a heavy price for being arrogant and for being proud. Yes, we do. And you know, whether we learn it an easy way or we learn it the hard way, but it's a very high price to pay if we don't learn how to be humble. So to this three common characteristics that wise people share. Fear of, fear of God, humility, and obedience. Any person who is humble. Humble people tend to be very easy or very teachable. You notice that? Proud people don't want to listen. I believe what I believe and I don't want to hear anything. I'm done. I'm stuck. My mind is closed. But people have this characteristic that are very open. They are very teachable. They tend to acknowledge their mistakes very easy. See, ready to apologize. Which some of us, for some of us, might be very difficult. It is for me. I don't know about you, but there is pride in my life. We all have it to some degree. As long as we live in this human flesh, we all have a pride, whether we admit it or we not admit it. No matter what nice suits we put, or nice dresses we come to church, we still all have it. Still all have it. Now, so we know that some of the characteristics that wise people share among each other. Now, is it possible for us? Yes, it's possible. But how, how we could get this wisdom and get it a little bit faster? How do we get this wisdom? How is this possible? How can we speed up the process? Is it possible? Yes. Reading your Bible. Spend more time trying to buff up your knowledge. Right? That's just natural. Increase your understanding what you're reading. But are there any other ways? What about this? Do you get up in the morning... And as you much, let's say, some of us crave for food, some of us crave for coffee. I can't function before I have coffee. I need to have a coffee. The first thing we get up, or some people say, I need to have a breakfast. Or I need to go and I need to do some exercises. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But how many of us get up in the morning and says, I have this craving. I have this desire for wisdom. Do you have it? Or let's say you come at the end of the day, you tie it, you're sick of all these events that happen, you go to your bed, if you don't forget to pray, or if you're so tired that you fall asleep before you pray, and your last moment you're just thinking like, oh God, I just want to be wise, help me out here. Do we think like that? Do we put our mind that we want this thing, we hunger for this thing, we thirst for this thing, Father, give me this wisdom so I know how to behave, how to lead my family. Father, give me the wisdom so I can be helpful 
in my church environment. I can help some other people. Are we actually doing this thing? Do we desire it from, from our heart? Look at Proverbs chapter 4 here. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. Wisdom, wisdom is the principal thing. You can go to the Hebrew translation if you want. Just like, just see what it means here. Principal things. What does it mean? It's the first. It's the best. It's the chief. It's the choice. Wisdom is above anything. Are you desiring God's wisdom in your life? Do you crave for it? Do you thirst for it? Do you want it? Because if you're really going to crave for it, and you really want to want it, that other point, how you can the wisdom, you can put a price on the wisdom. You see, I was talking to Jessica the other day. She was studying so hard, she was doing an exam on a subject that she's not really interested in, but it's part of the curriculum. So she needs to do it, and you need to get a good mark to get a scholarship. So she was working hard. Something that is, you don't have much interest in, that you need to work harder just to, you know, just to, you know what I'm talking about, right? So she worked hard, and I said, Jesse, you spend so much time, why are you doing this thing? And she just looked at me, so when I finish one day, I could have a designation. So I said, wow, you pay thousands of dollars for an education, so you're going to have a designation that, let's say, might bring you something in your life for the next 40, 50, 60 years, right? She says, yeah. I said, what about the biblical wisdom that's going to set your life for eternity? What price, what price would you put on a biblical wisdom? Just think about it. Because most of us, if it's free, then it's worthless. I don't want it. It's free. What price would you put on the wisdom of God? What, what price would you put? Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4. If you seek her, you search for her. You put some effort as a silver and search for her as for a hidden treasure. Imagine that, you know what? You know there is a hidden pleasure somewhere at the bottom of the ocean, somewhere in the mountains. What distance would you go to find it if you know, let's say, hey, I can find some gold from the 13th century. It's worth billions of billions of dollars. How much time and effort and everything you put into it just to find this treasure? They'll probably sell everything you have. This is, I'm going for it. I gotta have it. Again, what is your price on wisdom? How much would you pay for it? What would you give up for it? It's a good question. I have to ask myself too. 
The third one. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I already mentioned it. It was the third one many times. Study. Study the word of God. Not just study. Obey it. Study one thing. Studying is one thing. Arguing about it is the second thing. But study it and obey it is a totally different thing. Psalm 19, verse 7. How is your attitude towards God's word? How is your attitude? Just let's see how close we come with the King David here. 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. That's your desire? Is that your desire when you get up every day or you're going to bed every day? Is that my desire? That this is something so precious, so valuable, that above everything else, this is what I want to have. This is what I want to experience. So we have it. Or we're just fooling ourselves that we just want to be a first fruits and, and we're going to go there and Christ is going to give this immense amount of power for what? So what are we going to do? With? How else you can get it? As you doing all the other stuff. As you desire it. As you prize it. As you study it. Then you go on your knees. And you pray for it. We read the scripture in James chapter 1 verse 15. We read it in my first presentation, so we don't need to go there. But let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians. Let's see the way how Paul prayed about his congregation. Ephesians chapter 1. Breaking into that context here, 15, verse 15. Here, therefore, about all the things above. I don't have time to go through all of this, but just be patient. You'll get the sense what he's praying about here. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. That's Paul saying. He says, I, Paul, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. This is the way how he prays for his congregation. What he what he's gonna pray for? There will be no sick. That there will be very there will be very everybody will be prosperous in his congregations. That you know no one will die. What he's praying here for this congregation? Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory 
of, who, of his entire inheritance in the saints. Do we really analyze what you're reading here? Do we see the pictures what Paul is praying here for his congregation? The depths of it? You know, it's one thing to say, like, you know, yeah, I wish everybody's healthy, everybody's doing well, everybody's got a car, everybody's got to do this thing. This thing? If you find a Paul's prayers in his letter that he prays for the sick, that he prays for the other people, show me. I'm not saying it's wrong to do this thing. I'm not, absolutely not. There are priorities. Show me. What about the other ones? Colossians. Just move over a few pages. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 9. Chapter, yeah, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. All again. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. For what reasons? That you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good works, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Why God gives you wisdom? Why you ask for wisdom? What is the purpose? Why would God give you all of these things? We hear it here. Paul plays for his congregation. His prayer. Heart for prayer for his congregation. They will have this wisdom. How to navigate. How to behave. To understand, you know, the calling. How precious it is. This is the prayer. Of the elder for his church. It's amazing. What else you can do to be wiser? Go back to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. If you spend most of your day, most of your life, if you spend with people who are not going to contribute anything to, let's say, to your salvation, then you know what? You're wasting your time. Proverbs chapter 13. What's the other thing that you get wisdom? Look at verse 20. He who walks with the wise man will be what? Will be wise. If you spend most of your time with people who are just fun, that's all what you're going to get at the end of the day. It will be just all fun. If you just want to have all entertainment at the end of the day, that's what you're going to get. You're going to align yourself with the people who are going to entertain you. If you want to get wisdom, you try to spend time with people who actually have it and will help you out how to get it. Now, again, we know the basic characteristic that wise people share among them, right? Some basic stuff, how we can get it, how we can get in the process that we can expedite it and work on it so we get this wisdom a little bit faster. But the question that remains, why? Why would God give us, or why would God share with us his wisdom? Why? 
Why would God give you his wisdom? Why? So you can live a happy life? Yes. Yes. God's wisdom will bring you a happy life. But that's not what it's all about. So, is God willing to give you this wisdom so you can be rich and prosperous in your life? Yes. Might be part of it. This is not the primary reason for it. God could give you wisdom so you can go and manifest it, whatever you do, whatever you, whenever you go. So you can just show how smart you are and how elevated you are. Might be. But this is not the primary reason. Why would God share his wisdom with you? Why would God give us his wisdom? God would give us his wisdom. So all of us, we could work out our salvation together. Think about it. All of us, individually as well as collectively, we can work out our all salvation together. Salvation is a process. It's got a beginning. It's got an end. Salvation is not a one-time event. Salvation starts with justification, finish with glorification. All the processes between is sanctification. And without God's wisdoms, it's very difficult to navigate through this process that we call sanctification. We need a lot of God's knowledge, a lot of God's understanding, and especially God's wisdom to navigate. So we start from point A and finish at point B. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. The scripture was read to us today. So I don't have to read all of it again. I'll just pick up some verses. Let's start first from verse 16. God gave us this Holy Scripture. God gave us this knowledge. He's blessing us with understanding. Verse 16. All Scripture, not some part of it, whatever we pick and choose, all of it, all Scriptures is given by inspirations of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, I can substitute the doctrine that says for, you, for your behavior, because doctrines and behavior go hand in hand. For doctrine, for reproof, for corrections, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God might be complete, totally equipped for every good work. Right? That's why we all have all this knowledge here in this book that would inspire our God to help us out. Now, look here what Paul is writing to this young Timothy. Let's start from verse 10 again. Actually, we don't know it because it was read to us again. But actually, let's do it. Let's start from verse 10. He's writing this letter to the young Timothy. He says in verse 10 here, But you have carefully followed my doctrine. What was Paul's doctrine? Paul's doctrine was Christ's doctrine. What was Christ's doctrine? Christ's doctrine was God's doctrine. The chain of events, Right? But you have carefully, carefully follow my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, 
affliction which happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endure, and out of, and out, and out, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. He's writing to you and Timothy. You need to learn obedience. Christ learned obedience through suffering. I learned obedience through suffering. You're going to go through the same thing because you need to learn obedience. Verse 12. And yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus were what? Maybe, maybe suffer persecution. What does it say here? Well, suffer persecution. It's a given. If you need your life to be changed, you need to go through fire. That's it. Verse 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14. But you must continue. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Where he learned all these things from who? From Paul. Where did Paul learn all this, all, all his things? From Christ. Where did Christ learn all his things? From God. You see the chain of command going now? And being assured of. How, how he can be assured of it? Because he got it from Paul. Knowing from whom you have learned them. And then verse 15. And you learn from me. And then what you learn from me will be supported by the Holy Scriptures. And then from childhood you have known by the Holy Scriptures. What? You've known by the Holy Scriptures what? Which are able to make you wise for what? For salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Why did God give all the scriptures? Why did God give you all this stuff? Why did God will give you wisdom? So at the end of the day, we can reach this beautiful thing which God gave us through His grace, the salvation of every single one of us. Why else would God give you wisdom? For what? So you can go and, you know, play 649 and extract big today, $15 million, or you can go and do something else. Why would God give you all the wisdom? So you can design the next nuclear powerful weapon to destroy the other country? Why did God give you a wisdom? So you can outsmart other people how great you are? What a awesome politicians you are? Why would God give you this wisdom? So you're smart. So you have this wise for salvation. This is it. Now, wisdom is just the means to accomplish the goal. That's it. Wisdom in itself is not the means. Wisdom by itself is nothing. Wisdom, through wisdom, is to accomplish salvation of your soul. That's why God gives you wisdom. Let's go to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. Uh, let's start from verse. Verse chapter 5. I wanted to start from 3. It will be probably too much reading. But verse 5. 
breaking into the context here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, and in this, what is going to be revealed in the last time, in this, Peter is writing here, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if needed be, you have been grieved by very various trials. But we need to go through all these trials, because of verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The end of salvation. Verse 8. Whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith. What's the end of your faith at the end of your sanctification process? What is at the end of it? Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And you know how blessed you are? You have this understanding, what do you know? You know how blessed you are? Read the next verse. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. You know what you know? Isaiah didn't know. He had a large pictures in front of him. He didn't know the details. He just wrote about it. Jeremiah didn't know. Zechariah didn't know. But you know. But you know. Do we consider it how blessed we are just to know this thing? Compared to the billions of billions of people who have no clue why they wake up each day in the morning. Or why they go to bed each night. Have no clue. Why they here? Why they exist? For what reasons? God made them. Have no clue. No clue. Now, just continue the same chapter. Now, at this point, I want to connect my message to the holiness that Pastor Mori Pastor covered last week. Verse 13. Therefore, before of all these things that we read, how blessed we are. Verse 13. Gird up the launch of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not now. Not tomorrow. At the time when Jesus Christ will come. Verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but... As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it's written, be holy, for I am holy. How many messages have you heard about the holiness of God? How many messages have you heard that some preachers will say, what does it mean to be holy? How many Sunday preachers will go up there and preach about how holy is God? And how holy you need to be. They're not going to preach it. You know why? Because that will contradict their doctrines. What they believe. Totally contradict. So they will avoid the subject. 
But Peter says, be holy in what? Some of your conduct? What does it say here in verse 15? Be holy just little things that you do? Or just be holy on a Sabbath, what you do on the Sabbath day? When you're supposed to be holy in all your conduct. What does it mean to be holy? God says, if I says, you know, just be like me. What do you mean? You, you need to become like me. If God says be holy because I am holy, then what? Then we need to become holy. So Pastor Muri gave a sermon yesterday. Yesterday, last week. By the way, great sermon. And I was very disappointed at the end of it. During our sermon discussion. I was disappointed in myself. I failed my brother. Because I was so amazed by whatever I learned, the information is there. And I kept quiet. I didn't say anything. And at the end of his presentations, all we were capable of talking about the sermon discussion is just like, you know, like, what you say about Christmas? Do people say Merry Christmas or whatever, stuff like that? It was devastating to me. It took me days to recover after all of this. No, seriously. If God says... Be holy because I am holy in all your conduct. What does it mean? What does it mean? Does it matter what you eat? Absolutely. Does it matter what you wear? Where you go? What you say? How you relate to each other? How you deal with sin? Right? When you worship? How you worship? How long you worship? Does it matter? Is this thing just like, hey, I have no issues. I'm good. I'm holy. I. Right there. I have no questions. I have no comments. I'm serious. So that was my behavior. I apologize for my brother. That's all we can come up after sermon and holiness. Just like, hey, you know, we say this, we say this during Christmas and whatever, stuff like that. Or, I don't know. I think we need to go to the basics. I think we are far away from this wisdom that God has required us to have. We need to stick to the knowledge. Go to the basics. Try to learn the basics. Derive the understanding. And then maybe we'll become wise. If my words are harsh, I'm not apologizing because those words are for me. That's how I felt. I felt my brother. I felt you. Now, let me give you another scripture. Be holy in order your conduct. Be holy in all your conduct. Does it also mean that what you think is important? What you think about your brother, what you think about your sister is important? Do you think God cares? As Pastor Murray mentioned, the way when you come to worship here, are you ready? Do we pay attention? We just come, it's Friday evening, we tired, you go to bed, get up next morning, hey, it's a church time. As a routine. Do we realize we're in the presence of holiness? God is here. Am I holy to appear before him? What about the scripture? Matthew chapter 5. Be holy is one thing. Matthew 5, verse 48. 
Holiness. Be holy is one thing. Verse 48. Christ. Christ's words. Therefore, you shall be perfect. Wow. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, hold on. What does it mean to be perfect? We need to qualify it. Christ explained it. Let's go back to verse 43 and read it. What it means to be perfect. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Did you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on just and on the unjust. 46. For you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do, you, do, not, do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you, what do, you do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do so? Let's read this verse again. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What's that, what is that supposed to mean? How is your love? How is your love? It's not just how well you love your brethren. Because this is way more than that. If you want to be perfect, If you want to be perfect, how well are we doing that department? How are we loving people who are outside? How would we show it? Are we just a part of one club? We meet on a Sabbath, have a coffee, a little conversation, and we just go home and see you next week. What does it mean when Christ says, when God says, be holy because I am holy. Be perfect because I am perfect. Do you want to see God? Yes or no? Would you like to see God? If God would call you today, if God, let's say, would call you today, would you be able to stand in front of God and see Him face to face? Would you be? Matthew chapter 8. No, Matthew 5. Hold on, Matthew 5. Verse 8. You want to see God? What does it say here? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How is your heart today? If God will call you today and look at your heart, what would he see? You would, would you be able to stand in his presence like this and say, Father, I have nothing to hide? Or is there something in your life that you're still ashamed of? Something that you would still like to hide it? Or some issues that you might not have resolved. Whether in church. Whether outside the church. Whether your neighbor. 
whether your family, whether your co-workers, you have all of this thing resolved. So when God calls you, you can say, hey, I'm in face in face to my creator. And I'm able to withstand it because I'm pure. I am holy and I am perfect. Second Peter chapter 1. I'm coming to the end here. About to be done. Second Peter chapter 1. And again. Sometimes we read the scripture so fast. There's nothing wrong with reading scripture fast. But sometimes we need to slow down. We need to meditate at some of the verses. Some of the words. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2 Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord verse 3 as his divine power his divine power Jesus Christ's divine power has given to us through the Holy Spirit, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Hold on. Do we understand what we're reading here? Divine power has given us all things to be holy, to be perfect. Right? We don't have to go to Walmart or to Costco or cross the border to get a little bit cheaper over there, right? No, you all have it. It says all. Keep reading. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What are the promises? Can you even imagine in your brain being a first fruits in the new Jerusalem that second death does not have power over you forever and ever. Can you can you can you phantom this thing? How how important it is. Precious promises that through these promises, that through this you may be partakers of divine nature wall. Partakers. Be holy because I am holy. I'll be like God. Be perfect because I am perfect. This is the calling. Is it possible? I don't know, but I'm reading here in Peter. It says all of these things has been given to us. And exceedingly great promises that we have in Jesus Christ. To be what? To be partakers of divine nature. But. There is a qualifier. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
How well are we doing on this process of transformation? Through this process of sanctification. That our body is being transformed every day to be to the image of Christ. How well are we doing that? Are we like Christ? Are we like our neighbor? I'm not saying your neighbor might be better or whatever, but, you know, we're conforming to the lust of our flesh the way how we used to be. And we're still there. We still, we still can't do a step forward because this is holding us back. We can't move forward at all. Now, let me finish here in John chapter 14. I would encourage you today, all of us today, as we talk about in sermon discussion, I'd like to go back. I would like to talk about the holiness. What does it mean to you? And what does it mean to all of us? Because the reason why God gave us the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, so we can be holy the way how God is holy. So we can be perfect the way how our Father in heaven is perfect. Everything is intertwined together. So I would like during our sermon discussions today, we guys go back, revisit the sermon, what Pastor Murray gave, and let's just have an honest discussion. How well are we doing? How well are we failing? What help we may need to have from anybody? Let me conclude here. What a beautiful scripture. Because some people would say, oh, Jen, this is impossible to get. How can you be perfect when, you know, to the way that God is perfect? How can we accomplish this thing? You know, like, how... How can we see God? How can God be with us? You know, it's possible. If it wouldn't be possible, then no one would write it in the Holy Script. John chapter 14. And I'm going to finish with this verse. John chapter 14, verse 23. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with if you keep my commandments. God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.